0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to DamascusRoadOnline.com. So uh, last week, uh, last week we started this kind of two-week mini-series within our parables series. Um, we're ta- looking at the stories that Jesus told, so that he could grab our attention, because sometimes direct communication. Um, runs right into a wall of defense. And Jesus would tell stories that would sneak around the back and grab our attention and say, this is about what's going on in your life, in your world right now. And so last week, uh, if you can bring up Luke 15, 1 and 2. Last, last week, we talked about how Luke 15 has been called the gospel within the gospels, that Jesus tells these three parables that highlight the heart of God that really reveal the heart of God and his passion for people and his, his, um, his desire to call people back home. But it didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened in a context. And the context is here in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And we talked about the conflict that people who were notorious sinners, people who it was very easy to see that they were sinners, somehow felt safe, and somehow they felt welcomed with Jesus. And the people who, at least on the surface, uh, looked all put together, and they looked very spiritual, and they looked very religiously healthy, hated that, because it was, it was a disgrace to the name of God for uh, somebody who said he was about God's Word to be mingling with such People, And so, there was this conflict that arose, and Jesus, we talked about last week, just kind of looked at the Pharisees, and the first two parables that follow, with the lost sheep and the lost coin, he really kind of gives it to the Pharisees, and especially with the lost sheep, if you remember, he said, look, if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes wandering, that shepherd's responsibility is to go after it and to find that sheep. And God made you shepherds of his people. And you you ought to have a heart for people, especially when they go and, and get lost. And you don't. And instead of going to seek out people, you use people for your own benefit. And Jesus kind of hammers the Pharisees to say, you have missed out on the calling God has given you, and and in your lack of compassion, I'm going to carry that. And Jesus, in other places, calls himself the good shepherd, the one who will go after his sheep who are lost, and the one who calls them by name, and the one who... Uh, When he calls them, they know his voice, and they trust his voice, and they can come close to him. And so even though the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus welcoming sinners, Jesus says, this reveals the problem in your heart. And these two parables lead up to this third one, which is the longest parable we're given in Scripture. It has the most detail. Some Some people have called this the greatest short story in history that it has uh, so much in it and so many layers and so many details that we can't possibly get into all of it today. But I think that we can get to the heart of it. So following the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus goes into um, what has been called the parable of the prodigal son. And in Luke 15, starting in verse 11, it reads this way. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I love this story. And I love how it reveals the heart of God. And I love how it follows up on the last two parables about the lost being found and the lost being brought back home. So let's unpack it. For a long time, this story has been called the parable of the prodigal son. What we'll see this morning, that name kind of doesn't tell the whole story. Some people have called this uh, the parable of the compassionate father, or the parable of the two lost sons. And what's important for us to see this morning is that really both sons are lost in different ways. And it corresponds to to two different kinds of people around Jesus. So remember, the Pharisees are grumbling about sinners being welcomed by Jesus. And it's very easy to see how Jesus is setting up the younger brother as uh, a representative of the notorious sinners and the Pharisees as a representative of sorts of the older brother in the story. And he wants them to know that they are both lost so the notorious sinners of the day, the younger son, they didn't want to follow God's law. They lived life above God, and they said, I want to go my way, and I want, to, I want to be my own king. And then there was the other group, the Pharisees, who were teachers of the law, who, the older brother, and they, they held on to their traditional upbringing. They lived in all the right ways. They worshipped faithfully, and they prayed constantly. And yet, something funny was going on. Because the people who were attracted to Jesus were the bad guys. The people who were attracted to Jesus were the sinners. And Jesus made time for them. He accepted them. And this angered the Pharisees. Like, how dare he? We would never give these people the time of day. And so uh, Jesus has this word for them. And he says, I want to address something going on in your heart. This parable is told maybe more directly to the older brother types uh, to reveal the problem going on. He's, uh, he wants them to know that both are lost and that he's reaching out to both. That he's not pushing one away uh, so that he can embrace the other. Jesus is here to reach out to both camps. It's a younger son if we can look into him. The younger son, uh, the story starts out by saying, we're introduced to the father, and he's got two sons, and the younger son goes to the father, and he says, father, I want my share of the estate, which, okay, so this parable, by the way, if you're a guest here, we would love uh, to give you a welcome packet. We would love to get to know you, and in the welcome packet, there's a book called The Prodigal God uh, by a guy named Tim Keller who is an incredible author and a great pastor. And he, he goes into this parable in great depth. And if you've read it, you will see uh, tones and details of Tim Keller's study and Tim Keller's teaching all over this. Um, I might even say most of this, um, most of the good stuff in here is stuff that he has taught. I'll put that disclaimer out. But if you're a guest and you haven't uh, connected with us, we'd love to give you that gift and give you this book so you can jump in because we believe it represents the heart of the gospel. So the younger son comes to his father and he says, Father, I want my share. Which uh, we might be able to kind of skip over real quick. Say, okay, maybe he can cash out early. Um, Inheritances work like this, though. When do you get your inheritance? When someone dies. You don't get your inheritance while they're still alive because, well, they need it, right? And so the younger son goes to the father and he basically says, I don't care about you. Maybe he's saying, I want nothing to do with you. Maybe he's saying, you're actually better to me dead because of the stuff that's coming to me. So, can you give me my stuff now? I don't want to wait around till you die. And this request is so incredibly offensive that some have said the appropriate response of the father would be to beat the son. In this culture of that day, the appropriate response to maintain the dignity and the honor of the father in the community would be to beat his son, run him out of town, and say, you're dead to me. How dare you request that of me? But the father doesn't respond that way. The father actually grants the son's request, and he gives, them, he gives him the inheritance. And the way it worked in this day was the, uh, the older son would get a double portion. The oldest son gets a double portion. And so when the father breaks up the inheritance, he gives this younger son one-third of the estate. Because two-thirds of the estate is withheld for the older son that would actually uh, go to the hands of the older son once the father died. And he gives the younger son one-third, and he says, Have your way. This response is shocking. And it actually literally says, The father divided his life uh, between the two sons. And the younger son goes away. He goes off and he spends everything that he has on, uh, Jesus says, on wild living. And he finds himself in a dark, dark place. Jesus says he got so low, after he ran out of money, there was a famine in the land and he found himself feeding pigs which was the lowest of the low pigs uh, in the Jewish community, you weren't even allowed to touch them because they were considered unclean. So to not just touch them, but to have to care for them, to have to feed them, and to long for what they were eating was the ultimate humiliation. It is easy to see how the younger son was lost. It's easy to see how the younger son was just, had completely lost himself and found himself in desperate humiliation. And he did not know who he was. This gets real personal. When we understand that we have lost sons all around us, that we have lost daughters all around us, that people who Sometimes, Often because of their own fault. And often there is the tangled mess of history and family and relationships. We have lost sons and daughters around us who are living in humiliation, living without honor, living with no sense of identity. And when you get to this place, you lose all hope. And so... Uh, Part of us at Damascus Road, part of our community, we find in Serenity House is a sober living house for people who have got to this place and are lost. And they they go to Serenity House to find hope and to break addictions and to, uh, to get clean. And Serenity House loves these people and speaks Jesus to these people. This weekend, Serenity House lost one of their own who came and had a relapse and died of an overdose. And he is a painful picture of what can happen to lost sons and daughters. People get desperate when they don't have hope. And in this story, Jesus says this son was in a desperate position. And then he turns the corner and he says, "But he came to his senses. He came to himself. And he started wondering, maybe this isn't how the story has to end. Maybe, Maybe I've made such a mess of things, but I don't have to stay here. And he starts to think in his head, I don't know what my options are, but maybe, maybe, maybe I could go home. And even though my request to my father was so atrocious, maybe I could go home and say, Father, I'm not worthy of being called your son, but I'll I'll pay it back. Whatever you gave me, I'll pay it back in wages. If you just hire me as a day laborer, I will work my way back into relationship with you. And Jesus says, "That's not. That's not how the story goes." We have lost sons and daughters all around us. Sometimes we don't even know. Last week, uh, a family visited us, and they sat right there. And I didn't know it until he emailed me later in the day, and he said, "You can use my story if you want, and you can use my real first name." So Jim, Jim, who was here visiting from out of state, looking for a place for family in the Madison area, visits DR, and he says this. He says, I was and am the lost sheep. I grew up with an alcoholic father, and I gave my life to Jesus when I was 17, but then I fell away into the secret life of pornography to ease my pain until I was 50, when Jesus sent my wife to find me and to bring me home. Jim says, After a long struggle of trying to quit and quit and quit and quit and and fall back into pornography, he says, I gave up and I surrendered and realized I couldn't do it on my own. He says, that was eight years ago. He says, praise God. I'm now on a course to reconcile other men back to God who have fallen prey. Family life is totally transformed. My kids now are in a better direction and seeking Jesus, and God has given me abundant life and intimacy beyond thought. And my transformation continues. But he says, I am the lost sheep. That's how I describe myself. So we have two pictures of lost brothers and sisters, lost sheep among us. And Jim is in the camp that could be said of him, he came to his senses. And he started wondering about a different story. So the younger son comes back. And he says, I know I can't ask to be a son. I'll ask to be a hired hand. I'll ask if I can pay it back. I made the mess, and I will clean it up. I will pay back for my rebellion. If I start now, over time, maybe I could find acceptance from the Father. And it says, the Father saw him while he was a long way off. Which implies what? That the father's looking for him. You can almost picture the, the father, uh, they don't have rocking chairs in their day. You can almost picture the father though, sitting on a rocking chair, waiting. Someday my son is going to show up on the horizon. I'm waiting for that day. I'm waiting for that day when he comes back. And if, if the story went according to culture, as soon as the son shows his face back up on the scene, the father would have met him and said, don't you dare come back here. You get out. You are, you are dead to me. What you did was disgraceful and brought dishonor to yourself and to me and to our family, and you have no right to be back here. I won't even consider hiring you. I don't want you in my presence But that's not the story that Jesus tells. Jesus tells of the story who is waiting. The father who is waiting and watching. And when he sees his son a long way off, rather than demanding that he beg and then kick him out on his own way, he ran to him. Older men didn't run. Like, kids ran, and maybe a woman would run, and young men would run. But older, distinguished, honorable men would not run because it meant... Uh, basically, picking up your dress, picking up your robe, and showing your legs to everyone, and you have to hold it in this awkward way, and like do the old man run, and and it's a disgrace. It's humiliating. And so while he runs, you can almost feel the community saying, "What is he doing? Was it was it not enough that his son dishonored him? Was it not enough that he gave him the inheritance? Now he's going to run to him with excitement?" I hope he tells him off. And it says he, he threw his arms around him, and he hugged him, and he kissed him. And the son starts his plan. He says, Father, Father, I sinned. I know I sinned, but would you hire me back? I know I can't be your son. Would you hire me? And the father wants none of it. The father cuts him off, and he starts talking to his servants. He starts talking to his workers. He says, bring the best robe and bring the ring. So the robe is this picture of honor. While the son has been disrobed in humiliation, the robe signifies an honor and a covering to say, you are welcome here, and I'm going to give this back to you. And the ring likely is the signet ring, and it's, it's about authority. So if you wear the ring, you are part of the family and you can speak for the family like, uh, like those cool rings that they would stamp with a letter. That kind of deal. Bring the family ring and put it on him. He has no place as a servant. He is my son. And he says, bring the fattened calf. So it's not like he just goes down the road to cops and says, go buy some T-bones. We're going to grill it up. This is... This is in a culture where meat is scarce. If you ever have the opportunity um, to go to Senegal or to go to an African country and experience something similar to this, I've been over in Senegal a couple of times, and meals there are like, uh, they they do big, it's almost like this um, platform here. The bowls of food are that big, and you sit around it and you eat together, and there's a lot of not meat. Meat is scarce and it's put in the middle, and you kind of you'll grab a piece with somebody else and you'll pull it apart. Meat is seen as a special occasion because meat comes from animals, and which is foreign to us because we just go to the stu- the supermarket, right? Meat actually comes from animals, and so to have meat you have to kill an animal, and they would do it right there, and they bring the fattened calf that has been a symbol of our. Uh, part of our wealth, and I want you to just use it. Be done with it. Let's celebrate. And it is a grand party which celebrates. And he says, we're doing it because you're, the, son, the son was dead, but he's alive again. Like our son is back. And we get to celebrate. I'm not going to let you grovel. I'm going to take you back. What, what does God teach us in that? that God's love can cover over any sin that we would have in our life. That there is no sin that puts us outside of the love and the desire of God. That he created you and he loves you and even in your darkest days, he is fond of you and he wants you to come back. He doesn't look at you and throw verbal blows or physical blows. He wants you back. Not anything, nothing can earn our way back to God. Not groveling, not doing a good job, not trying to pay for our sins somehow can earn our way back to God. The Father's love and acceptance to us are absolutely free that we don't do anything to deserve it. Most of the time, because it's been called the parable of the prodigal son, that's kind of where we end the story. And it's a beautiful story. son goes away, he comes home, we have a party, and we're done. And that's very similar to the lost sheep and the lost coin. But Jesus isn't done, and he wants to drive it home. And he says, now I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. And so we get to, uh, we get to the older brother, Because forgiveness really isn't free. Forgiveness costs. So if the younger son took his part of the inheritance, the one-third, and then he comes back, how much does the father and the older son have remaining? Two-thirds, right? And where is the two-thirds going? To the older son on the father's death. And so that means everything the father has kind of belongs to the older son. So the young son comes back and he says, Get the best robe. And put it on the younger son. And get the ring and put it on who? The younger son. And take the fattened calf and give it in a celebration of who? And who is it being taken away from by implication? The older brother. And you can start to understand some of his anger. That was supposed to be mine. And you messed up. And you don't deserve it. And you're getting it. And I'm angry about it. And Jesus wants to talk about that anger. Forgiveness isn't free. So the older brother, when he hears of his uh, younger brother returning, he's angry, he's he's furious about it. And the servants go and tell him about the party. He said, what's going on? He's like, there's a party. And he refuses to go in. So in a similar fashion to the younger son requesting of his father, give me my share of the estate, and the father does. This is a, this is a disgraceful act. To, uh, to say no to the invite of the father to come to the party, to represent the family, and to celebrate with the family is a disgraceful, rebellious act. He says, no, I'm not going to follow my father's wishes. No, I'm going to sit here and stew. No, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be angry. And this forces the father to go to him now. So the father ran to the younger son and, and at risk of humiliation to himself. And now his older son is having a fit. And the father, instead of saying, well, then get out of here. How dare you not come to the party? How dare you kind of take a stab at me and my authority and what I say are the family rules? The father goes to him. It says, entreats him, he begs him to come back into the party. The older son is furious because everything that is his is now being given back to the son. And so he addresses the father in a very respectful way. He said, look, if you have kids and they address you that way, look, mom, how's that going to go? Not real good. Look, Dad. Like, I've got a problem with what is going on. This son of yours, which is a really interesting way to identify his brother, right? This son of yours, I'm not even going to call him my brother. He goes off and squanders his inheritance on prostitutes, which is the first time that prostitutes jump into the story. Jesus didn't say that's how he did it. The older brother is heaping, condemnation on his brother and assuming that's how he did it. Now he may have, but the older brother is saying, I'm going to tell you what is going on in my head, what I think he did, and I'm going to accuse him of it. The older son says to the father basically in his words, Father, you are a disgrace. How dare you let him back? So we see that the older son isn't actually all that different from the younger son. The younger son wanted the father's things, but he didn't really he wasn't really interested in the father. And he did it by being very, very bad. The older son is doing essentially the same thing. He wants the father's things, but not the father. And he's gone about doing it by being very, very good. He says, "I never disobeyed. I followed all your rules." I will not come to your party. All you're good for me, all you're good to me about is my inheritance that is coming to me. And this is the Father's plea. Son, though you've insulted me, I still want you at the feast. I still want you at the feast. I don't want to disown you either. Please come inside. The choice is yours. And Jesus is telling the story, I would bet that the listeners are on the edge of their seat saying, does he come to his senses? Like the, like the younger brother. There's a, he's going away. He's lost. What's, what's going to happen now? Jesus cuts it off. And the story's over. Please come in. What does the older brother do? And that is entirely the point, entirely the question that Jesus wants his audience to wrestle with especially his audience of older brothers older brothers what will you do will you come into the party and celebrate what god is celebrating will you will you embody the heart of god and reach out and when i reach out for lost younger brothers will you do the same and will you recognize your own lostness how you have been good but for bad motivations for bad reasons just to get stuff so while the younger son is living life over God saying I'm going to be my own boss the older son is living life under God saying if I do this you will owe me we have a tendency of being very moral sometimes as Christians to say I'm going to follow all of God's rules and when I do he is obligated to bless me he better and Jesus is redefining our understanding of sin that we understand sin as being very bad and Jesus says sin is also being very good when you do it for the wrong reasons when you just follow rules and you get puffed up that is that's ugly and that reveals something about you so we either go the route of moral conformity and good religious activity and intention or we go the route of self discovery and rebellion <laughs> And I'm going to go and do my own thing. And both of those ways uh, lead us to a place of being lost. The two views clash with each other, and they don't mix well. And Jesus offers an alternative. The younger brother offers a view of sin that we recognize. He humiliates the family. He's totally out of control. He's alienated from God. And anyone who lives like this would obviously be cut off from God. And the listeners would have agreed. But then he talks about an older brother that is also alienated, that is also outside of the party. He's followed all the rules. He's been self-disciplined, but he's still separate. We have two lost sons. One does it by being bad and one does it by being good. And Jesus says, I'm inviting both of you. I'm inviting you who have been bad and I'm inviting you who have been good for bad reasons. And I want you to come close. You can almost hear the Pharisees gasp at the end because the story has gone nowhere close to what they have expected. We ask the question, what do the sons want most in the world? The younger son wants his freedom. The younger son wants to go down his own road to be his own master. He wants the things from the father. And the older son wants his obedience Uh, to gain him access to the things of the Father. And neither of them actually want the Father. So Jesus is saying, no son, neither son, loved the Father. Both were using the Father for what they wanted, rather than for the, the relationship with the Father. So, this morning... Who do you identify more with? We've got pieces of both. That you can get lost in a younger brother kind of way. By going off and uh, jumping into a dark, dark world of very obvious sin. Or you can get lost in a very dark place by stacking up good things. And thinking that that gains you some kind of spiritual credit. And then you look down on others who are not living like you. Who do you identify more with? Do you identify more as the younger brother or as the older brother? There's something else is going on here, though, because in the, in the parables preceding, Jesus talks about um, a lost sheep, and what happens when the sheep is lost? The shepherd goes for it. And then he tells a parable about a lost coin and what happens when the coin is lost. The woman searches for it. And in this parable we get a picture of a lost younger brother and what happens when he gets lost. Nobody goes. This would have stood out to people. Because part of the the whole deal about the older brother getting a double inheritance is he's got an increased responsibility in the family. So it is the older brother's responsibility when his family is in trouble to do whatever he can to use some of that inheritance to go and search for his brother. And did he? He sat safe and comfy at home and he said, I'm going to use this inheritance for me. This is what is coming to me. And Jesus has just indicted the Pharisees in the, in the last two. And he says, look, all the way back into the Old Testament, you were called the shepherds. And you were supposed to go for people. And you were supposed to seek out people who were lost. And you haven't. And the older brother in the story, if he had been uh, the older brother we expect, would have gone for the younger son. He would have gone searching and he wouldn't have come home until he found him. And by not including that in the story, Jesus is is speaking very loudly by saying, you are in need of an older brother. And I'm calling some of you to be older brothers and you have not done it. We are in need. When we are lost, we are in need of an older brother. And we don't need someone who would just go to the next country. We actually need our older brother who would come from heaven down to earth. We need an older brother who's not willing to just pay a finite amount of money and use his, in, 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 uh, his inheritance to come and find us. We need an older brother who would empty himself, come down off of his throne, and bring us into God's family again. Our debt is much greater than the younger son in the story. We deserve alienation, and we deserve separation. We deserve isolation. We deserve to be lost. But we have a true older brother in Jesus who would not accept us being lost, who would not accept us being alienated and separated from the family. Jesus came for us. He was stripped naked. His robe was taken off, and he was disgraced so that we could be clothed in a dignity that we don't deserve. He was given names that were meant to mock him so that we could be brought back in and be given the name of the family, be given the name of the Father, that we are heirs, that we are sons and daughters. Jesus drank a cup of justice so that we could drink joy so that we could be part of a celebration. Jesus says, I am the older brother, and I have come searching for you. Whether you you have been very bad, or you have been very good, I'm here to call you home. I'm here to rescue you, and bring you back into relationship. So what has to happen in us For us to be changed, Tim Keller says, and I agree with him, that we need to be moved by the sight of what it costs to bring us home. That forgiveness isn't free. So, a really lame example someone takes your iPhone and breaks it. You can either demand that they buy you a new one, or you can say, Oh, you're forgiven but your iPhone's gone. If you're going to get another one, it's going to cost something, right? If you forgive, it's free to them, but it costs you something. Forgiveness works like that. It costs. And when it's true forgiveness, it doesn't cost the recipient. It costs the giver. And Jesus says, I'm willing, I'm willing for this to cost everything. Cost me everything so that you can receive this gift. Jesus, Philippians 2 said he had all the power. He's sitting on the throne, and he gives it all up. And he's disgraced, and he's dishonored, and he's murdered, so that we could receive freely. And then it says, Jesus has given the name above all names. It's like he's given the family ring again. He's given the authority again, because of what he was willing to offer. We will never stop being younger brothers or older brothers until we acknowledge our need, until we rest in faith, until we gaze at the wonder and the work of our true older brother, Jesus. Do you want to come home? Do you recognize your lostness? And even even if you have been a Christian for a long time, do you recognize your continual need for Jesus? That he would continue to come for you. That you get smug. That you get arrogant. That you start to prop yourself up on your own strength. And you start to distance yourself from other people. And he still comes for you. He still comes for you. And the question is, do you want to come home? Do you want to live as a son and daughter in his family? So here's one last thought. Uh, I've often looked at this parable and said, "We're, we're supposed to identify as one or the other son. That's very natural. And then we look to God and the Father and said, this is what God is like. Um, I don't know if you've ever read um, any of a guy by the name of Henry Nowen. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful author. The more that I learn about him, the more I respect him. Um, He's a guy who had it all and kind of gave it up so that he could could be with people who were kind of tossed out by others. And uh, he's a real artsy guy. I don't know if, if you guys are into art, then you're going to appreciate this. We have a picture. Can we turn the lights out quick? This is a picture called um, The Return of the Prodigal Son by Rembrandt. Uh, probably the most famous painting of this parable. Um, and Henry Nouwen uh, took, I think it was like a month, and he went and he, he, uh, he sat in front of the painting for like a month. And he just stared at it. And he just looked at every different element. So uh, he actually, this is—if you, you read the book, it's called *The Return of the Parable Son* or *Return of the Prodigal Son* by Henry Now and it's pretty incredible. But he—he he talks even about the difference between the father's two hands and how how one looks one way and how one looks another way, and how Rembrandt, as a skilled artist, did that on purpose. Um, and and what it shows about the father. Um, This is a picture of a father embracing his lost son as he comes home, and the older brother on the right staring down uh, in disbelief, and he's put them together to say, I love this image. But where, where now in wrecked me was he started to ask the question, rather than just asking which brother am I, I wonder if God calls us to be like the Father. That it's, we think the parable is about us receiving forgiveness and receiving welcome from our lostness, either younger or older. And now he takes it a step further and he says, isn't there a place, isn't there a point in time when we grow from being just recipients to being people who run to being people who would extend and embrace and welcome people home. And it it just came out of left field for me. And I felt like, why have I not ever seen this before? But it makes sense to me that as we grow as recipients of God's love, we start to grow a heart like God's. And whether whether we're called to be like the father or like the true elder brother that is not in the story, but Jesus is identifying in his silence. I think that's an important part for us today, that we almost simultaneously would say, I am lost and have been found. And I want to be a part of helping the lost get found. And in this, we have both humility and conviction and in this, we have both, I am not done, I am not perfect, and I cannot stand on a pedestal. But I will not use my own, I will not use my own rescue to forget about people who need to be rescued. I'm going to go. I'm going to go and help, and I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to mess up, because I'm still lost, and I'm still being found, and Jesus is still shining light in my life but now I'm going to start to embrace like he embraced, like he embraces. I'm I'm going to look to reconcile relationships that have been torn apart. And I'm not going to cast blame, but I'm I'm going to seek reconciliation. I'm going to seek justice. I'm going to be like the father, like the older brother that should have been there. So, are you like the younger son or the older son? And do you have a heart like the father? Do you have a heart like Jesus, the older brother who came for you? Will we as a church be a people who who are rescued and then start to go for people? start to look with compassion. This binder thing at Wright Middle School is a silly little way that is not silly at all. That we can get involved in entering into a relationship where we say, we have heart for you. And let each one of those binders represent us loving students and us loving faculty and saying, we have a heart for you. And we believe that God does too. And this can be one little thing that we can do. We're going to end today um, again in prayer. And just try and go for it. And I'm going to invite you. If you identify yourself this morning as lost in one way or another, or if you are struggling with the heart of the Father that isn't quite formed in you, where you want it to be. And you would like someone, you'd like just to be able to express that and you'd like someone to pray with you in kind of a no shame, no humiliation, almost a hidden kind of way. When we stand up for communion, there's a section uh, in this back corner. There's actually a row turned backwards that looks weird. Uh, And I'm going to invite you as people are getting up and moving, if if you want to be prayed for, and you just want to be able to share or talk about what's going on in your own heart, You go have a seat in this corner, and someone will meet you there who can listen and who can pray. And I'm, I'm just going to invite you to that. So you have two different kinds of responses. The first is communion. And we do communion to remember what Jesus did, remember how he came and how he searched for us to bring us home. And how it cost him a great deal. It cost him everything. And we take, we take the bread and we take the cup to remember his body that was torn up and broken for us. The blood that was spilt on our behalf. And we drink the cup as a way to remind ourselves of this new promise that Jesus gave. That in his death and resurrection that he offered us a way back to family that we would be included in the lifeblood of the family. And we get to drink that as a symbol of his invitation and as a symbol of our responsibility in the family. So as we uh, respond with communion, you can also respond with prayer and you can have sort of a choose-your-own-adventure deal. Um, Let me pray. and I'm going to invite the worship team back up and we'll finish in worship. Father, we love you, and we need you. On our own, we are so, so lost. We get lost in our badness, and we get lost in our goodness. We go our own way, or we go your way for our intentions. And either way, it's ugly. And I pray this morning for a spirit of surrender. That in our lostness, you would help us to come to our senses. In our lostness, you would actually break us to recognize our need for you. And in our moment of greatest darkness, in our moment of greatest need, that you'd enable us to look up and see you running to us. Father, what an an incredible love you have for us. Would you make us humble recipients? And would you give us a heart like yours? A heart that will spend ourselves and sacrifice ourselves. Give up so that others can be brought home. Would you make us people uh, who do a good job representing you? We love you, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen.